0: Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscana. I'm hosting today's program. Yes, too fake is not a pleasant thing when you're broadcasting, but that's the price you pay for being on the planet a little bit too long. That's the way it goes. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, no, it's got nothing to do with too fake. An Anarchist Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society. Based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power, it's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why those two definitions? Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. Simple. You break down hierarchy. Simple in theory, difficult in practice to achieve. And that's why the uh, historical record of successful uh, anarchist societies that have been able to withstand external aggression are few and far between. That doesn't mean that we don't attempt to create that new society in our hearts. Now, first of all, I'd like to thank all those people who joined us for the 25th January Tuna Minima Malbohina Commemoration in Melbourne. It was a... Um, Good Commemoration. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to the website, tunamool.org, or my uh, personal Facebook page. There's plenty of photos there, I understand. Toscana, the number four, the public. I'd also like to remind people across the country about the Invasion Day events that uh, are occurring around the country. And uh, if, you get a, get a, get a, if you're uh, that way inclined... It's a a great way to spend the day because the momentum is changing. I mean, I remember we were involved in activities almost 40 years ago to have uh, the 26th of January Invasion Day uh, changed as the day for Australia Day and people just looked as if we came from planet Mars. It looks like we now come from down the street because uh, a lot of people are discussing the issue. Now, again, the 20th of January... Those of you who heard the live broadcast by the web will understand that things change. And what we are trying to achieve regarding the 25th of January it, it to be recognised as a day when communities across this country, across this continent, the islands around this continent, hold commemorations and ceremonies to acknowledge the tens of thousands of men, women and children who were destroyed in the colonisation process and to acknowledge the ongoing ramifications of that, the brutality of that colonisation process. Obviously we will continue with the ceremony here on the 20th of January in Melbourne at what is the nation's first major monument which has been built to acknowledge the brutality of the frontier wars because on the twentieth of January, eighteen forty-two, two Aboriginal men from Tasmania, Tunnaminway and Mulborhina, were executed in Melbourne for the heinous crime of resisting colonisation. I mean, most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who died in the resistance colonisation were destroyed in the most brutal extrajudicial manners. But this was a judicial execution, which was carried out under the current and the laws of that time. To act as a deterrent to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, about paying the price of resisting colonisation. So we, I would like to see, or the Tannum壘Moree Memorial Commemoration Committee would like to see, the twentieth of January acknowledged around this country as National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Freedom Fighters Day, a day which looks at the resistance to colonizations and acknowledges that resistance and acknowledges that the reconciliation process can only occur once that history has been acknowledged. This is The Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And this is my 41st year broadcasting on Community Radio. And it's actually my 41st year broadcasting The Anarchist World This Week. And I don't broadcast to hear the sounds of my voice. I can hear the sounds of my voice any time I like. But there is a purpose. And that purpose is very simple. It's to create a culture of resistance. It's to create organisations... Which can turn that culture of resistance into a culture of change. It's about creating proactive moments where we as a country and as a people can actually feel empowered and confident enough to raise the questions regarding what type of society we should be and how should be organised, not just about specific issues. Now, obviously I'm involved in, and this programme is involved in a lot of issue-orientated politics, but it's more than a specific issue. It's about the foundation stones that this country, our culture, our people, our political processes, our social interactions are based on and radically altering those foundation stones and those relationships which exist in society to ensure that everybody, not just a few, benefit not just from the redistribution of wealth but benefit from being being able to be involved in decision-making processes in this country. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, really? Now, the biggest... Well, there are two big, there are two big, big news items in the world in the twenty-first century. One, obviously, is climate change, and an increasing number of people are beginning to realise it's real, especially the insurance industry, and moves are afoot, you know, to go down the green capitalist pathway. And the second issue which almost seems to be ignored, is the fact that although wealth may have increased, especially in this country, it has not increased per head of population. It has not increased equally. And I find it extraordinary that a private charity, Oxfam, seems to be the only organisation which is interested and giving people the facts and figures regarding this historical transfer of wealth from the poor, the disadvantaged, the highly uh, leveraged, to that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. What should be front page news... And the essence of every radio conversation, every television program, current affairs program in this country, every day seems to get one out in a year when Oxfam gives us the figures. And then it's forgotten. The next day it's forgotten. Now we're told there are more billionaires in Australia than ever before. We're told over the last 10 years that 1% of the population now owns 70% of the wealth of this country. And we call ourselves an egalitarian community. 1% owns 70% of the wealth. We're told we've never had it so good. I mean, this is a classical example of the trickle-down effect. The more you deregulate the economy, the more you give the corporate sector its head... The less, less taxes they pay, the more legislation that is passed to uh, enrich the powerful and the rich. The greater the drain of wealth. To the extent where we now have in this country, you know, this is not some you know developing third world country. You know, we, we think of ourselves as some type of sophisticated Western society, where one percent own seventy percent of the wealth where the right to strike has been outlawed out of existence. Where every day, every minute of every day, we hear people talking about how horrible it is to be rich. All this regulation, all this red tape, all these taxes. And that we need to decrease company tax in order to increase profitability. But every time profitability is increased, it's increased at the expense of people who create that wealth it's not people who have access to money that create wealth it's not the entrepreneurs that create wealth wealth is created by those people who sweat intelligence, application makes profits for these people so it's an indictment on our society every day that once a year Oxfam gets you know a few moments of uh, exposure when it talks about the 1% uh, in 70% of the wealth in this country. Why don't we hear the opposition leader, more importantly the Prime Minister of this country, highlight this as a, a central issue in this country? And obviously they won't highlight it as a central issue because they are in the pockets of the parliamentary puppet masters because it's wealth, which allows people to exercise power to such an extent that Parliament becomes an instrument via which they entrench their power and wealth. That 1%, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication, entrenches their wealth. So, what can you do? Hmm? I mean, I can talk to the cows came home, I can talk under a wet concrete, I can talk after I'm dead, People tend to do that these days with social media. But what can you do? Well, you've got a number of options. You can say, "That's life." All right, say lovey, tattoo it on your body. Ned Ned Kelly's purported last statement when he was hung on the eleventh of November, eighteen eighty. That's life. Say lovey, and you know, get on with your, get on with paying your bills. Or you can say, well, I'm not political. doesn't interest me. All right? But stop complaining if it doesn't interest you. Or you can say, well, I'm going to vote for somebody else the next election. That's right. I'm going to vote for somebody else the next election. You're going to give somebody else power to make decisions for you for the next three years. When ultimately you don't really have any power over these individuals in terms of them keeping their promises or attempting to keeping their promises, or you can do what I've been trying to do over the last two and a half, three years. We have been trying a number of us have been trying to establish a new political, social, cultural force in this country. public interests before corporate interests, putting the interests of the many before the interests of the few, has the central tenets of a new political movement and political party. Now, how progress has been slow. Because we need about 550 people on the electoral roll, the federal electoral roll, in order to apply for registration as the political party. Not just in terms of applying for registration, but in terms of having a little bit of an ounce. Because if you look at the benches in the Senate... You'll find that the great majority of them are basically people from a more authoritarian, racist viewpoint, and that what's loosely described as the left has really been found wanting, found wanting intellectually, found wanting organisational, and found wanting in terms of the being mired and caught up in issue orientated politics. So if you do listen to this program... Look, I don't come here to talk to myself. I mean, I can listen to my own voice any time I like. I can put on a tape recording and... You know, but I'm not interested in that. The reason I broadcast is to encourage you to become active. To understand that hope... Hope... The love child of desire, the desire for change an expectation the expectation that change will occur can only be nurtured and watered by people like you now obviously a political party like public interest before corporate interest isn't some type of perfect organization and it's not going to resolve all the problems but what it does it creates a different mindset in the community. Because currently, and I don't blame ABC presenters for the current pathetic situation we find in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, where presenters have basically been forced into a position where they have become mouthpieces for the more authoritarian segments of our society, the traditional political parties, the conservative reactionary elements that people like you and me never seem to be heard on the ABC as it's around some type of particular issue. There seems to be no place for people who have a objection to capitalism Objection to this drain of wealth into the hands of the rich. Objection into a parliamentary system that's been hijacked by that 1% of the population that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. There seems to be no force in our society which says we can do things successfully in another way and we need to do things successfully in another way in order to survive. That's the dilemma That's the dilemma Because we are now Most people have so many debts Who are not part of that 1% Or part of the 12% Of the population Which is uh, making hay At the expense of everybody else As part of the investment classes Or class So what we are seeing Is this culture of compliance A culture of complaint and a culture of harping and concentrating on the trivial. It seems to be that the concentration of our efforts, not just in the um, corporate-owned media and the publicly-owned media, but on social media, seems to be on the trivial, the ephemeral. The you know and nothing highlights that more than the uh the joys of YouTube and social media. So you do have options. It's not just about listening. Anybody can listen. We need to move beyond that idea of listening. I remember it sounds like the good old days, you know, the old blokes remembering the good old days. Well there are never any good old days. But I do remember a culture of resistance. And I do remember a time when we believed, not fought, but believed, that change was needed and would occur. And obviously change has occurred on many peripheral issues. But when it comes to change regarding the economic framework of this country, regarding how wealth is created, regarding who makes decisions what we've seen is change that reinforces the power of those sections of our society that already control many aspects of our day-to-day lives. So, I am encouraging you, I make no bones about this, I'm encouraging you Encouraging you to join public interest before corporate interest. So before we need about another two hundred members on the electoral roll. You don't have to be on the electoral roll to join, but if you are on the electoral roll, it help helps us get the numbers. So you can join by by downloading an application form from pibc P I B C I dot net. You can download an application form. Simple. Download it, email it back, bingo. I'll send you out a membership card. Or, you haven't got a computer, and I understand many people listening to this program don't have computers, or don't want computers, or don't want, or don't want to be part of this, a new, this brave new world, this social media. Well, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Or you can e- email us. You know, you can email. Sorry, you can uh, ring us, leave a message, contact name and address. We'll send you out an application form. We'll send you out 10 application forms. If you've got any friends, which maybe is highly debatable. The number is 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. 9. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network across Australia to many community radio stations across this country, north to south, east to west, up and down. My name is Joseph Toscaro, I'm hosting today's program. As I said before, if you want to contact us, there's a few ways you can do it. Yes, we do answer letters. We don't get many, but they're still coming through. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com anarchistage at yahoo.com You can leave messages on 0439 395 489 But I said before, oh, but look, I've been an activist This is my 50th year And I really kind of marked that 50th anniversary When the May revolts occurred in France in 1968 This was a different type of revolt This was a revolt which occurred in a Western industrialised society A revolt which didn't Orientate Regarding the old communist Capitalist divide It was a revolt by young people When I was 16 at that particular time And it had a profound influence It radicalised me You hear that word? Radicalised But it didn't ra- radicalise me In terms of, you know Joining some Crappy outfit that wants to impose its will on people through force or through the domination of the state apparatus, but radicalised me in terms of creating a new world which was based on the dismantling of an old world which was created for inequalities in power and wealth. It was about a struggle about devolving power and holding wealth in common and using that wealth for the common good. So May 68 was a pivotal moment in my life when I was 16. I've considered that I've been an activist since. Not just issue-orientated politics, but activism in terms of trying to get listeners and people to think about new possibilities regarding creating that new society within the old, about creating a cultural setting via which the types of things that we find important, that we talk about, become central issues in the community itself. Things like devolving power. Things like recalling politicians in between elections. Things like direct democracy. Things like the establishment of a third economic system. Not controlled by the state or private wealth, but a system based on the creation of cooperatives and collectives, where not every nobody gets rich, but at least everybody is comfortable. So this is—it's not a dream. I don't dreams are crap. I mean, you may be a dream analyst, and you may be turning your—you know—in your grave. It's not a dream. It's something that people have strived for, strived for since time immemorial. Creation of society, of a community without rulers, without people imposing their will on you and using that force, that power to enrich themselves at your expense, at the expense of your children and grandchildren. So even if you're old and you think, Oh, I'm too tired. I've seen enough. I've done my bit. Think about it. Think about the life of your children and grandchildren, especially your grandchildren. In this brave new world, where 1% of the population in this country owns 70% of the wealth. In this brave new world, where parliamentary legislation is passed ad nauseum, which makes it easier and easier and easier for people with wealth not to actually pay taxes and support the rest of the community. Think about it. You do have options. We all have options. Whether we take up those options or not is the issue. I mean, if I I liked the sound of my own voice, I wouldn't be here. I would not be here. Total waste of time. If I didn't think that change was possible, I wouldn't be here. If I didn't think that we, as a people could change our future through action, direct action, I wouldn't be here every week for the last 41 years. I would not be here. Think about it. Change is possible. You are that that agent of change. We are the people we've been waiting for. That's right, you and me. We are the people we've been waiting. Waiting for You want a society without rulers You want to devolve power You want to hold wealth in common Well, don't rely on anybody else The state's not going to do it for you Orthodox political parties are not going to do it for you Your neighbour's not going to do it for you The only way you'll be able to do this Is by working collectively with people around you All right, let's move on to a little bit more local Australian values, I love it, I love Australian values I remember when I was a little kiddie We'd kind of assemble every day, the beginning of the school day Look at the Australian flag And we'd sing, that's right we'd sing God save our gracious Queen send her victorious and glorious and crap, 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 crap. I forget the rest, fortunately. And I really find it extraordinary that uh, there's this push around the nation and the latest manifestation is the opposition, the Liberal National Party opposition in Victoria. But there's this push around the nation that we need to resurrect Australian values, that we need to teach Western history that this foray into alternatives has been wrong that's important that we go back to Australian values so I'm thinking to myself what's an Australian value I mean we like to think of ourselves as an egalitarian community and we may have entered that pathway in the 1880s and the 1890s when people were using direct action to get a little bit of more for themselves and force the state to take up their interests instead of being a uh, basically a police officer or a soldier for the ruling classes. And we, we were very successful, especially in Victoria. We where some of the most radical ideas were implemented decades before they were implemented in the rest of the world things like free compulsory secular education in the 1870s and the list goes on and on the provision of social security benefits for people who are unemployed or single parents and the list goes on and on and on so there's always been that movement for change but what's an Australian value in a society where 1% owns 70% of the wealth, we can no longer say that egalitarianism is an Australian value, is it? It really isn't, is it? If it was a value, we would see maybe 1% owning 10% of the wealth, not 70% of the wealth. So egalitarianism is a is an Australian How about a fair go, mate? You like that? fair go mate yeah I like that fair go mate the land of the fair go and I'm thinking how can you have a fair go when the social elevator through tertiary education has been destroyed where the Bits of the social elevator have been sunk, sold to the corporate junkyard. Trashed. How can you have a fair go when you've got a private schooling system which is bankrolled by the Australian taxpayer, by the public, and a public school system which is starved of funds because the amount of funds which go into the private school sector? How can you have a fair go? So. No egalitarianism, no fair go. So what does that leave? Well, maybe denial. That's a great Australian value, isn't it? Especially at this time of year. The denial that this country was built on the blood and bones, hopes, aspirations and lives of tens of thousands of people who had lived on this continent for over 40,000 years the denial of the brutality of the colonisation process the denial of the ongoing legacy of colonisation is that part of our australian values is that maybe one we want to concentrate on western history where somebody kind of kind of travelling down says wow look at that i've discovered it isn't it wonderful i found it and people who'd been living here for 40, 50,000 years, who'd named every, every nook and cranny, every hill, every mountain, is that an Australian value, denial? Then we've got the purists who bring up Anzac Day and they say, that's an Australian value. And I'm thinking, isn't Australian value to die for God, king and country? When I look at the thousands, tens of thousands of men mainly men who died fighting other people's wars overseas on behalf of God, King and Country in the First World War. Is that an Australian value? To sacrifice yourself for God, King and Country? Is that an Australian value? Maybe. Is it an Australian value to deny somebody else the safe opportunities you have because they wear funny clothes or have a different religious belief or a different nationality or a different colour. Is that that an Australian value? Hmm? Interesting, isn't it? Aren't all values universal that are important? We have something which is a little bit different to everybody else in the world. Do we value things that are a little bit different? Then we talk about freedom. And I look around me and I think freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from what? Freedom to exercise political power? Freedom to break out of the current economic system which is based on creating ever increasing profits for smaller numbers of people, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. Or is the freedom to speak? When I look about freedom, I think, "But well, what constitutional protections do I have? Well, I don't have any constitutional protections as far as free speech is concerned. The High Court has quite clearly outlined that as far as there is an implied right to free speech, which you can only exercise during a political campaign, once an election is called. Because if you don't have free speech, you can't have an election. And then we say, oh, but, but Joe, Joe, Joe... We're a democratic society. Is that an Australian value? And I'm thinking to myself democracy? Rule of the people, by the people, for the people? Do we really live in a democratic society? Every three to four years we're asked forced by legislation to cast a ballot to elect people to make decisions for us when we know That real power doesn't lie in Parliament. It lies in the boardrooms of national, transnational corporations. So where are these Australian values? Freedom, democracy, sacrifice, egalitarianism. The list goes on and on. Denial. Who knows? So what are we going to teach? Are we going to go back to the 19th century Are we going to modify them to suit 21st century conditions and 21st century reality? Are we going to incorporate them in the Australian Constitution so people do have a legal option via which to uh, ensure those values can be accessed and used and applied? Do we want an Australian value which protects the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. Australia is one of the few nations on this planet that has constitutional arrangements which don't protect the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And people think, oh, Joe, you're so silly, you're so mad. What would you know about the Australian Constitution? Well, constitutionally, the High Court has basically found that we could legally pass legislation tomorrow in this country. Well, not me, but both Houses of Parliament. That could, in turn... Blue-eyed two-year-olds because they're potential threats to the state, because there's no constitutional protections for the individual in the Australian Constitution. How can we have a constitutional arrangement where there's no individual protections? So this debate about Australian values, you know, it sounds good. It sounds good that somehow we have values that are different to the rest of the world and that we just celebrate these values on Invasion Day on the 26th of January. But are our values... Are values universal? Are they limited by national boundaries? Are they things we give lip service to? Well, think about it. If you can find an Australian value, let me know. I know one Australian value, and that's the Great Australian Salute. When you go out there into the countryside and you go camping, The Great Australian Salute is something that we have in this country. And we have the Great Australian Salute courtesy of all those cow and sheep shit around the countryside that acts as a breeding ground for flies. So maybe that should be our Great Australian Value, the Australian Value, the Great Australian Salute. That's something that we have here in this country, which is ours. It's an Australian Value. (laughs) You're listening to The Anarchist World... This week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, boys and girls, you may have noticed that things are a-changing. We're going back to the 50s. We're going back to the Cold War. Now, I did notice a big wig from the Indian political scene down here saying that they want Australia back. Into military exercises which involve the United States, Japan, India, and Australia. Mr. Rudd pulled them out because he was concerned about, you know, annoying our Chinese trading partner, our major trading partner. But they want us back because the United States of America, the land of the brave and the free, has realigned its defence policy. Islamic terrorism, gone. Forget about it. Forget about all the damage the invasion of Iraq caused. You know the hundreds of thousands, not millions, of people that have died and continue to die as a result of that, of that intervention by the coalition of the willing in the Middle East. No, that's name. No, that's no longer important. Those people have been put away. They're basically, you know, nuisances. Nuisances. The real struggle is against the Chinese and the Russians, especially those pesky Chinese. That's where the real struggle is. And we need to get Australia back on side. We need them. So the US, Australia, Japan and India used to have joint military exercises to keep the little pesky Chinese in line. But about a decade ago, the Australians said, ah, it's not our thing. Why should we kind of upset our major trading partner China. But now Mr Turnbull wants us back in there. And wait on, I reckon in the next week or two you'll hear the big announcements that we will be back in these military exercises, that we are part of that axis. US, Australia, Japan, India, South Korea big axis bulwark against the expansion of Chinese influence in our region. I can see it I can see it now. And then we'll have, you know, the old Anzac Day ceremonies. You know, it's not about remembering the dead or commemorating the dead. It's about creating a new militarism, a new nationalism in this country. Because there's nothing like militarism and nationalism to kind of get people thinking, is there? You know, you want to die for your country. Well, between you and me, I don't particularly want to die for my country and I don't want to die for God, I can assure you for that And I don't want to die for my country I don't want to die for the king or the queen Ah well, let's see what happens Let's see what happens, but be careful Because it's interesting how the rhetoric changes You get rhetoric, and that's the beauty Nothing ever seems to be solved, but there is always an issue I mean, last week it was all those noxious African gangs which have made Melbourne an unsafe, unsafe, unsafe place to live in. And I noticed that our mates, our intellectually uh, challenged mates in the Australian editorial team, are continuing to beat that bandwagon, beat that drum, and that their mates in the Liberal National Party in Victoria are continuing to beat that drum. Think about it. You know... Fear is good, it is really good If you make people fearful Well then maybe they'll vote for that strong leader The tough law and order stance I mean, it's not often that I agree with the Victorian Police Commissioner And I seem to be agreeing with this gentleman a lot lately Here we are, an anarchist and the Police Commissioner agreeing He says, we can't arrest our way out of Youth crime. We do our best. But it's a social issue. It's a political issue. It's not a policing issue. When you've got 13, 14, 15 year old kids being involved in quite vicious criminal activity, there are reasons. You can't put them all in jail. Well, you could. But it doesn't solve the problem because it doesn't. doesn't even touch the reasons this is occurring. But when you throw petrol on the situation by using it as a political cudgel via which to generate generate you know a climate where people will vote for you know longer prison sentences, bigger prisons, deport them all the list goes on and on. You begin to understand how criminal activity is politicised in order to in order to assist the more conservative and reactionary elements in society. Quite amazing, really. Quite amazing that we seem to swallow the pill every time. I remember the African gangs, I remember the Italian gangs, the Vietnamese gangs, the Greek gangs, the bloody Slavic gangs, and it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It's very useful. Very useful to be able to marginalise a specific group in society increase odium and hate regarding that specific group and hey presto you don't have to actually look at the issues that have created that situation in the first place you don't have to look at the issue of what do young people do Hmm? if you don't go to university what do you do where's the work where is the work I mean, if the private sector and the public sector can't absorb youth into work, why not see funding going into the creation of cooperatives and collectives, which could give a sense of purpose and meaning to an increasing number of people, both young and old, who are no longer needed by the productive process. No longer needed. Think about it. Now, I love corruption. It's really good. And if you can kind of send a few dollars my way, that'll be lovely, wouldn't it? I, I, only, I only accept billion dollars. I'm a little bit like the Prime Minister of uh, Malaysia. I only, if, if a billion dollars appears in my bank account, I won't ask any questions. But if less than a billion dollars appears in my bank account, I'm going to be really pissed off, all right? So I need a billion dollars. So if you've got a billion a spare billion, give me a call and I'll give, you a, I'll give you a bank account to put into it. But, you know, corruption is, is an evil, evil cancer. And although we used to think we were beyond corruption, it was a third world issue, it is slowly becoming an important issue in Australian society. And that's why the government was forced to hold a banking royal commission. It really, it's really a Clayton's royal commission. We actually haven't seen the capacity of individuals to apply, to be heard at the royal commission. But it's, the pressure's there. But I really like big corruption stories. And it really pains me to think of how Mandela's creation... Australian National, sorry, the African National Congress has been used by the current President to actually steal over thirty billion dollars. It's gone into his pocket and the pockets of his friends. $30 billion. And when you think that Cape Town currently is on the edge of a drought where people are going to be limited to 25 litres of uh, water a day because there's not enough water. And when you think of the social dislocation in South Africa and how little has changed since the end of apartheid because the economic infrastructure never changed. The same people, different colour skin still in control, still wrought in the system, you begin to understand how corruption becomes such an important issue, not just in South Africa or Malaysia, but even in Australia today. Huge issue. When people rifle the public purse, when legislation is changed in order to benefit those with wealth. It's very simple, isn't it, really, when you think about corruption. I mean, isn't it corrupt behaviour to allow Parliament to pass legislation which in, which allows an investment class to grow, which pays minimal taxation or no taxation at all? Isn't it corruption when you allow the corporate sector to legally minimise this tax to such an extent there's not enough tax to look after the interests of the many, like health, education, public infrastructure. I mean, isn't that corruption, corrupting the system to enhance the power and wealth of a small minority? And as I said before, interested in these ideas, want to break down these these things. It's not human nature. It's the fact that there are political, social structures which allow this behaviour to... To occur unpunished, which not only encourage this behaviour but pass legislation which reinforces this type of corrupt behaviour. Because although $30 billion has been siphoned off the public purse in the last decade or so in South Africa by a few people in the government and some of their business mates, none of that money is going to come back. Nobody's going to appear in court because of the way the justice system is, uh, is organised. So last but not least, I just want to talk about issues. I like that. Although I railed against issues at the beginning of the program, I'm talking about issues. Central issue. Now, the Victorian state government had just spent $8.5 billion. It's going to remove 50 level crossings. And guess what? It looks like an average of one minute has been saved by motorists. Hmm? Wonderful. I would never argue never 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 argue against infrastructure. Then we look at housing a crucial issue. Crucial issue and what we've seen in the state in the state of Victoria and in some other of the Australian states is state governments especially in New South Wales and Victoria attempting to privatise what little is left of public housing. Give it away to the private sector. Give it away only 3% of the Victorian population now lives in public housing. At one, at one stage in the 1980s, we were looking at about 15%. And every day you get media reports about the losers, in inverted commas, in public housing. Every day. Every day. Every day. And there is this movement to remove public housing from the housing sector and let the private marketplace dominate the area. And as we approach an election on the twenty fourth of November in Victoria, you've got two competing interests. You've got the Victorian Labour Party, which talks about all the great things it does with infrastructure, you know, uh more railway lines, getting river level crossings, making more roads, the infrastructure kings. Everywhere you go there's new infrastructure. And then you've got the the law and order mob on the other side saying, Oh, crime is so rampant in Victoria. It's unsafe to go out for dinner. You've got their mates in the federal arena. They've done their little uh, surveys. They know that this is a big issue. So let's beat it up. Get their mates in the Murdoch media to beat it up. Crime. Well, we're coming from a different direction. Defend and extend public housing. You can go to our Facebook page. We're about making housing the central issue for the state election in Victoria and across this country. Housing. And our policies uh, revolve around the idea of earmarking every dollar that is raised from stamp duty, which is a tax, which is levelled, a tax which is levelled on people who buy housing. That every dollar—there were six billion dollars in Victoria, and over six billion dollars in New South Wales—that every dollar is diverted into creating. New public housing. Within 10 years, you would have a million people housed in public housing that would force down rents and prices at the entry level. Bank. So, this is the campaign that we will be conducting during this year Defend and extend public housing through public interest before corporate interest and in the Unexperience Institute. This is a campaign which will have a lot of focus, put a lot of energy because what we need to do and this is what politics is about we need to change the political agenda from infrastructure and crime to the issue of housing people in this country you house people, you decrease crime you house people, you increase disposable income and you kickstart the economy simple, but not the type of thing people like to hear so keep an eye out We'll be having rallies and we encourage people in other states to form their own groups and get involved in this campaign. You'll be listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Raskar, i have be hosting today's program. If you'd like to leave a message, and I will ring you within the next 24 hours, hopefully, 0439 395. You want to join public interest before corporate interest? Go to the website, net. Download the application form. Haven't got a computer? Leave a contact name and address on the answer, on 0439 395 489. We'll send you out an application form. Right? Want to look at my Facebook page? You will not know what colour underpants that I'm wearing grey underpants today. You will not find that on the Facebook page. But you'll find out about a lot of other things. Go to the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. All the activities that we're involved in, all the activities I encourage you to become involved in, Toscano for the Public. Yes, we do answer letters. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Via your local community radio station, via the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week to The Anarchist World This Week. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwash minds. Oh lord. Yeah.